Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 10. In today's show, we'll be talking to David Lizerbram, an attorney and business law strategist about trademark strategy. David's going to tell us about a client that had to change their business name due to a conflict with a major international brand and how you can develop a trademark strategy to build and protect your intellectual property. Good morning, Craig. Morning, Shai. How's it going? Going great today. You know, I was looking at the news and I just have to laugh. I saw now that Taylor Swift is actually trying to make a bid for the term Swiftmas. It works, you know, there's so much out there. And I was listening to Kai Rizdal last night on Marketplace and he saw that one and made a point to talk about it because he really appreciates Taylor Swift's business sense. He feels that she's done a great job of working her business and working her brand and really has quite an empire and also represents a lot of the recording industry to a positive effect. But this one was just a little much. Is she at the edge of over-monetization and over-commercialization of her brand? To be defined. But this one was funny. Well, it cracks me up because it's like, I guess you have to know your audience, right? So if you look at her core base of yeah. listeners, maybe they're okay with the Disneyfication of her name. Or the shyification of the business. <laughs> I love well, it. It's actually funny you mentioned that. Uh, one of my students actually suggested that I change my course to say that it, it's a discussion of, quote, shyology, <laughs> which I thought was completely cheesy, but really funny. But, you know, almost in that same way, I don't know that we need to combine new words, you know, make new words all the time out of our names and out of our products. And this may be stepping over the edge just a little bit. It'll be fascinating as we explode the number of entrepreneurs and startups and businesses around the world. There's going to be a lot of collisions and encroachments into trademarks and intellectual properties. Yeah, and I see here that she's saying that swiftness is the word that her fans use to describe the random acts of kindness she makes, such as giving them unexpected presents. It's so sweet. It's quite a relationship she has with her fans. Her latitude of being able to pretty much trademark anything is pretty strong. Well, one thing for sure, I have to tip my hat to Taylor and her team. I mean, they do such a great job managing her brand and her impact on social media as an influencer has just been tremendous. So I'm sure she's going to laugh about Swiftmas all the way to the bank this Christmas. Merry Christmas, Taylor. <laughs> Our guest today is attorney and business law strategist David Lizerbram. He is the host of the podcast Products of the Mind, a show about the intersection of business and creativity. Hi, David. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Hi, I'm happy to be here. David, we're going to be talking today about the importance of trademarks as part of your marketing and business strategy. How long have you been working in this field? I've been doing intellectual property law, which includes trademarks for, boy, about 12 years now, something like that. And I've had my own law practice for just over 10 years. So I've got quite a few miles on the odometer. And in spending time in that field, what kinds of issues have you uncovered as you work with business owners regarding intellectual property protection? 
you know, I just feel like, unfortunately, there's not a lot of good information out there and a lot of business owners at whatever level don't get the education about intellectual property that will be helpful to them. But when I talk about intellectual property, that means four different things. Trade secrets is just exactly what it sounds like. It's something that is useful to your business that the general population doesn't know. Patents are an exclusive license to produce something. So if you have an invention, a unique and useful business process, something like that, you can register it with the patent office and have for a period of time exclusive right to produce it or to license it to others. So when we talk about patents, typically we're talking about inventions. Then we get to copyrights. So copyright covers anything that could be considered a creative work, whether that is for personal creative expression or for business. So it might include written copy, text, anything from a, you know email to a blog post to a book, video, music, audio content, podcasts, for example. All those things are covered by copyright law. And then finally, we get to trademarks, which we're going to be focusing on today. Trademarks refer to anything that identifies your business as the source of the products or services. So typically when we're talking about trademarks, we're referring to business names, brand names, logos, slogans or taglines. Any of those elements are brand elements that communicate to your customers or potential customers, hey, this is the source of the product or service. At a minimum – where should the business owner start in evaluating the current state of their trademark protection? Well, it depends what stage they're at. So if you're starting out and you're launching your business, you're creating a new product or service, you're in a great position because you have the opportunity to establish your brand and avoid legal conflicts and make sure that you're doing the right thing. If you're already in business, you're rolling along, it's always a good time to kind of stop and do an audit, you know, often with a professional, but you can do it yourself as well and just get an idea of where you are. It can be as simple as making a list of what your trademarks are and keeping that current on an Excel spreadsheet. I mean, we're talking very basic here. But think about all the different branding elements that you use, your brand name, your business name, you know, the names of your different products or services, common taglines, logos that you might use. You might have many or you might have just a few. But starting just by keeping a list and making sure you have those all handy is an excellent start because when you do you know, want to meet with an attorney to help you register things, protect them, deal with conflicts, you know, just having that all together is going to make that process flow a lot more smoothly and probably save you some money. And is there any reason why people would be hesitant to go through the process of having an attorney protect this information for them? Well, it might be cost. I mean, I have my own business too. I've been an entrepreneur now for over 10 years and I get that there's always a list of things to do <laughs> and all of those things cost money or time or both. And there's a limited amount of both of those resources. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, GM or Apple or you're just starting out on the side. You still have limited resources in some sense. So to some extent, that's an issue. To another extent, and this is almost an emotional thing, sometimes I find that people come to me, they've been rolling along having some success with their business, but they know that there's things that they haven't really nailed down, especially whether it's contracts or intellectual property or, you know, getting their corporation established or getting their minutes done, you know, whatever that might be. 
and sometimes they're kind of embarrassed about it. You know, it's like confessing to your doctor, like, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to eat healthy, but really I, you know, go to McDonald's a couple times a week. <laughs> and just like going to a doctor, I mean, it's best to get it out in the open. When you visit your attorney or you speak to that person, hopefully it's a judgment-free zone. We see it all. Whatever your situation is, we've probably seen something worse. So getting that out there is getting over that barrier is probably something people need to be comfortable with. And, you know, understanding the costs and what's involved is important too. What I always recommend when people are establishing a relationship with a business attorney or an intellectual property attorney is don't be shy about asking what this is going to cost or or how that all works. You know, some people I found are a little hesitant. It's it's like it's a rude question. Well, you have a business. You need to make a budget and you need to meet it. Doing that due diligence at an early stage, understanding what your legal needs are, what your costs are, and then being able to plan for that is probably a best practice that everybody could apply. I can't help but think about how this is really a risk management exercise and entrepreneurs by their nature are comfortable with a higher level of risk than most people. And so they are focused on things like generating revenue and getting out new ideas about their products and growing their business. They're not focused on things like managing their intellectual property (laughs) and dealing with contracts. And so it's certainly not top of mind, let alone something that that most people are going to get very excited about. But therein lies the huge exposure. That's definitely true. And the way that I look at it, first of all, is that my job is not to tell people what to do. My job is to give my clients the information they need to make executive decisions. So let's say you're a marketing professional. You have a marketing-oriented business. Now, you're probably going out to your customers and potential clients and trying to get them to see the value of putting some time and energy into their marketing to improve their business. Well, your lawyer is doing the same thing. He or she is probably thinking, okay, I know, Shy, you're working hard on what you're doing, but we need to take a minute and make sure this is all in line because it's going to help you down the line. So to some extent, it's kind of taking your medicine. You know, sometimes you just have to kind of grab them by the collar and shake them and say, hey, okay, I know you're busy. I know you're on a rocket ship to success. Let's take a minute to get this all in line and then you can keep doing your thing. Yes. And once you get going, the momentum is it makes it harder and harder to stop and look back and say, oh, yeah, have we protected this information? I mean, I'm amazed at the size of some of these companies and the length of time they've been around that really don't have the right protections in place. You know, David, I was reading one of your recent blog posts about the Exxon suit against Rocks Vodka. Yep. And as you noted, Exxon's claim was that the public associates the three-stroke interlocking X design with Exxon and ExxonMobil, and they represent a valuable part of their branding. And Rocks Vodka has a very similar design, and people can, of course, see that. I encourage them to look at your blog post on that. But it really made me think about a few things. So first Mm -hmm. of all, you know, I'm not a branding expert, but my hunch is that if you sell a beverage or food product, you might want to make sure that a major element of your branding or logo does not call to mind a global brand who produces something poisonous to consume, you know, like oil (laughs) or or maybe whose very name conjures up images of oil covered wildlife struggling for their life and miles and miles (laughs) of desecrated landscape. So I guess that would be my first tip for for our listeners today. (laughs) Uh, But it also made me think about, like, how does this happen? Uh, if you look at the way these logos are for, you know, I, I, there's there's trademark risk, but there's also just this general brand risk of being associated with that image. But I'm just curious, like, 
how would you protect somebody from finding themselves in that spot? How, how would rocks know that when they got somebody gave them this really cool logo if they didn't immediately associate it with Exxon themselves? Yeah, that is a tough one. And there's a couple of lessons in here. And I have on my blog post a picture of both the logos next to each other so you can see what we're talking about visually. I think the lesson here, sort of exactly what we're talking about, you know, what you don't know can hurt you. And the folks behind Rocks Vodka and their designers, I'm sure, or I really doubt they were trying intentionally to copy Exxon's branding element. Now, we can argue one way or the other whether Exxon's claim that the interlocking X design is valid across the board with any product or service. You know, if I was Rox's attorney, maybe I would argue that that's not the case. But nonetheless, nobody wants to get sued. Nobody wants to have to kind of put the brakes on what they're doing and deal with litigation. So it's kind of about establishing those best practices and avoiding problems before they arise. So what Rox may not have known in this case is that there is a principle called trademark dilution, and that's actually a cause of action that you can bring in court. And what that means effectively is that somebody has copied some part of my trademark, something that I own, and they're not using it to directly compete with me. So in this case, you know, you've got an oil company and you've got a vodka company. The products are not the same. They're not in the same channels of commerce. However, Exxon's claim is that their mark, their trademark, their logo, their image is so famous that they effectively own that image across the board. And that is a right that is applied only to very famous trademarks. So it would have to be something that you know, right? So this isn't an issue that would arise if there's a conflict between your logo and the logo of some other small, obscure companies. We're talking about the Golden Arches, the Nike swoosh, maybe the Adidas three-stripe design, the Apple that's on the back of every iPhone. I mean, we're talking about really famous things that everybody knows. Now, of course, there's going to be some gray area there. But generally speaking, if you're looking to avoid getting into a lawsuit, your best practice is to try to avoid those kinds of elements in your branding so that you don't have to defend yourself against an Exxon who might be making a valid claim and they might not, but they certainly have a lot of lawyers to throw at it. You know, your graphic designer is probably not going to know that. So it falls on the business owner and his or her attorney. What we would call it in law school is issue spotting, right? That's like when you look at a set of facts and you're able to determine, oh, here's a potential legal issue. Here's how we avoid it. Or sometimes you say, okay, I'm willing to take that risk because like you said, Chai, entrepreneurs are risk takers. But there's no margin in taking an uneducated, uncalculated risk. It's fine to take risks when you know what the possible upside and downside is. But if you don't know, then you got real problems. And have you ever had a client of yours that's found themselves in a similar situation where they've heavily invested in building a brand name? And then ended up in a dispute? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've had that happen many times. Obviously, if a client comes to me before when they've established their brand name, their trademark, their logo, whatever that might be, then we do everything we can to avoid those kinds of issues or at least identify them before they become a problem. But, you know, sometimes people do come to me as a new client and say, hey, you know, we got this cease and desist letter from a big company. What are we going to do? I have a client right now that I'm dealing with, and of course, it's you know attorney-client confidentiality, so I can't reveal the name, but they, without really knowing it, copied the logo of a large international competitor. 
again, they weren't necessarily trying to rip anybody off, but they just didn't know exactly how these things worked. And they thought that they were starting a really small business and who was even going to know? Well, their business became very successful very quickly, which is good for them. That's, you know, the dream come true. But they were sort of the victim of their own success, meaning because their social media presence and their recognition was going up so quickly, the other party spotted it and fired off this letter. In these cases, sometimes there is some room for negotiation or there is an opportunity. Okay, we'll license it or we'll you know, come to some kind of agreement because we're not in the same country or whatever it might be. In this case, and I'm happy about this because I like working with clients that have this mindset, You know, they were able to recognize, okay, we're still a very young business. We established a brand kind of almost at random, just trying to get things started. But now we have the opportunity to rebrand, to come up with a new logo, a new design, and really establish something that's going to be solid that we can own going forward. And so they had a positive approach to it. They understood that every crisis is an opportunity. And and so it's, it's going to work out for them. And we worked it out with the other side to give them a reasonable amount of time for the transition and no financial damages. So it really wasn't the end of the world. But it certainly was a couple of rough days for them and not what they would have wanted to have happened. So, you know, if they had reached out and consulted with an attorney beforehand, you know, it would have been a little bit of a smoother ride for them. Yeah, they may have made some different choices. I can imagine this must have been at least a pretty significant distraction. And then, of course, you have the cost of rebranding and trying to increase your brand awareness in the marketplace because your old awareness is now gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, every business is going to have challenges. So just a couple of pieces of advice that I always give people is number one, don't rely on your designer, your graphic designer or whoever, especially when you're starting out, you know, you're not hiring a big agency, you're hiring sometimes an individual graphic designer or somebody off Fiverr or online or whatever the case may be. Don't rely on that person to understand the legalities, to do their due diligence. It's on you to make sure that you do all that stuff properly. Nobody does everything right day one. I mean, if you've started a business, you know that you couldn't check everything off your checklist the day that you started. There's always a to-do list. There's always things piling up. Now, you need to make important decisions and step back from time to time and evaluate those. But don't panic if you haven't gotten this all squared away right away. It's just taking things in an orderly manner and addressing them and building the team around you. Just like you need people to, you know, maybe assist with marketing or advertising, you need insurance people, you need, you know, a CPA, you need a business attorney who understands how your business works, who is committed to a long-term business relationship and can advise you and can tell you, "Hey, this is something you need to deal with today or this is something that we need to talk about and let's schedule it for the future. Let's come up with a strategy." You know, let's budget for this so that over the next year we can address the following issues and you won't have to be putting out fires. We're going to do it in an orderly manner. What is the process for seeing if you have a trademarkable asset compared to what's already out there? Okay, so I do have some resources about this stuff on my website. One is called How to Choose a Strong Trademark, which is a sort of PowerPoint presentation that you can download. I would say the number one thing that people don't know about this is that in the U.S. and in most other countries, I'm sure you have listeners all over the place, trademark rights go to whoever has used that brand name, that logo, that slogan for the longest period of time, right, in commerce. So meaning, let's say you come up with a great name for your product. You're really excited about it. You look on, let's say, the trademark office website, and you see that nobody else has registered it. 
Well, that doesn't mean that you're in the clear. If somebody else is using that name or a similar name in a competitive space, then their rights are going to be superior to yours. Every situation is going to be different. But these are general principles to understand. So there's kind of a series of due diligence steps that we recommend. The first, of course, would just be to kind of do your own due diligence to look around your space, you know, Google it, etc. Try to see if you can find potential hits or problems. Then you can sort of run those by your attorney to see if they are in fact a conflict or whether it's just something you don't need to worry about. And then often clients will come to me or a trademark attorney for what we would call a U.S. full availability search or an international search, depending on which you know countries you're operating in. And then we can pull data from all different types of sources, create a legal opinion letter about the availability of the brand name. And it's kind of like doing a title search for a house, right? You don't know what you're going to find until you find it. And then if you find some potential trouble spots, then we decide exactly how to deal with it, whether it's something where you need to come up with another idea or whether these issues can be resolved. Every case is different. But there are a couple of steps to this process. And the best practice is to address them before you get into the marketplace with this brand element. Because once you get out there, like you said, you know, Shai, I mean, there's definitely a time and financial cost to having to rebrand. And it's something that if you can avoid that, it's going to make things run a lot more smoothly. David, in general, how long does the trademarking process take? There's a couple different steps in that process. In the U.S., when you file a trademark application with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the most important date is the date of filing, right? So if I file today, or let's say, you know, I file on January 1st, 2016. So as of that date, everybody else is on notice that I'm claiming rights in this brand name or this logo uh, or this tagline, whatever it may be, in connection with whatever goods or services you're providing. Nobody else can come along after that fact and start using that brand name and just kind of claim, well, how was I to know that you were out there? That's the most important date. You're sort of putting your flag in the ground. Hey, this is my trademark. This is my branding element. Then it goes through a vetting process at the trademark office that takes usually anywhere from four to six months just for them to kind of review it and vet it because they do have attorneys review every single application over there. And, you know, it's the federal government. So they're hardworking folks, but they're understaffed. So things do back up. Then it goes through a few other steps, what we call publication, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The long and short of it is that getting the actual trademark registration can take eight months, nine months, sometimes a year, sometimes longer, depending on how the application moves through the system. Part of the job of a attorney is to keep an eye on that, to know when there's an issue, to make sure that the deadlines are being met. Sometimes the trademark office does kind of forget about things or you know something gets lost in the system and then... It needs a little push. <laughs> so understanding how to navigate that is kind of part of what a trademark attorney will do. To get the actual registration, you know, you're looking at somewhere in the realm of a year. However, you're not exposed during that period of time because the date that you initially file the application is the most important date, and that's when everybody's put on notice about your claim. Once you've got your trademark, who is involved in enforcing your trademark or being aware of someone else infringing on it? Yeah, that's a good question. So there are services, you know, some attorneys offer it, some third parties offer it to monitor whether that mark is being used. Nowadays, there's a lot of different tools that are available to entrepreneurs. For example, I always recommend 
doing a Google alert for your brand name or your tagline, whatever that might be. Not only will it let you know if somebody's writing about you in a glowing manner and you're getting press, hopefully it's glowing, but also it lets you know if somebody else is using that brand name in a fashion that you're not authorizing. So it could be your attorney, it could be you, it could be you know your marketing people. Anybody can be out there kind of looking for that. But one thing I will kind of caution people about, and it sort of relates to this, is that it's important to know when it comes to trademarks, it's not like another type of property that you can own and just sit there. If you buy a car and you just park it in your garage, you don't have to drive it. You own that car forever. However, trademarks follow the very simple rule of use it or lose it. You can't register a trademark and then just not use it and continue to own it. They only are protectable as long as they are in use in the marketplace. Now, that doesn't mean that it has to be in use every day. You could take your product off the market for maybe a few months and then relaunch it, and that's okay because you know that's still more or less continued use. But the rule of thumb in trademark law is three years of non-use constitutes abandonment. So I would caution people to make sure that if you're going to the trouble of creating a brand, and this is true whether you register it or not, if you're going to the trouble of creating a brand, a logo, a tagline, and you kind of step away from that for a little, you know, you rebrand or you're just kind of downplaying that product for the moment, you do want to make sure to kind of keep it out there from time to time so that you don't run the risk of losing the exclusive rights to that brand name and letting somebody else, one of your competitors, swoop in and start using it. And then is it up to the trademark owner to begin enforcement? Yeah, um, you do need to enforce your rights against infringers, but you don't have to, and this is a common sort of urban myth, you don't have to sue everybody who comes along who's using your market in a way that you think is infringing or affecting your rights. There's kind of some gray area of reasonableness that you can apply. I definitely recommend that you always communicate and put on notice anybody who you believe is using your intellectual property in an unauthorized manner. You shouldn't just let it slide and not do anything about it. But in some cases, you can just simply notify them and let them know you need to stay away from this and, and so forth. You don't necessarily have to crush every possible competitor who might be using your elements. You know, and another thing to remember is that if you see somebody who's using your brand name or your trademark in a way that you haven't authorized, but maybe they're in a different channel of commerce, maybe you're not really competitors, maybe they're doing something different and there's not an overlap, maybe you're providing a really consumer-level service and they're providing a really high-end service or whatever the case may be, it's possible for trademarks to coexist. So you can own the rights to your mark and you can contact them and say, hey, look, you know, we haven't authorized your use of it, but we don't want to sue you. We don't want to get into you know, all that kind of stuff. Let's work something out. Let's negotiate something, a licensing agreement. It could be a private. You know, nobody else has to know about it. And they may be able to go about using that element in a way that you've approved and you may even be getting revenue or some other type of benefit from it. So it's not a black or white situation. It's important to kind of understand all the nuances of that. How do I go about finding a great IP attorney to work with? Well, there's a lot of different attorneys out there. I guess I would say, first of all, if you have a small business or any size business, you are going to need to have a relationship with a business attorney, You know, somebody who can handle contracts and negotiations and things like that. Now, some of those people, like me, 
also have a focus on intellectual property, but many business attorneys do not. That's just not what they do. And that's fine. They're, you know, they're experts in their own area. So I definitely caution people to make sure that if you're going to your general business attorney, your sort of contract type attorney, and asking him or her about intellectual property issues, make sure that they have experience in that area. And they're not just sort of taking that on as well. Just like anything else, like vetting any other professional, you want to get an idea of how long they've been doing it and how much experience they've had and all that kind of stuff. You know, and then there's always the decision of whether you're going to go with a sole practice attorney or a small firm or a large firm. That's going to be a different answer for every type of business. If you're running Facebook, you probably have every big law firm in America on call. You know, if you're a smaller startup, early stage business or just a lifestyle type business that's not growing to, you know, be a billion dollar enterprise, then a large firm might not be the right fit for you, whether it's because of budget or whether it's because of the amount of attention you're going to get or being the small fish in a big pond. So all these different factors go into play when you're looking for somebody who can assist with your intellectual property needs. It's also important for people to know that Trademark is an asset that you can buy, you can sell, you can leverage. It goes on your list of assets. So if you're going to be getting investors in your business, having trademark registrations not only increases the enterprise value of your business, but it saves you from having a difficult conversation if somebody wants to invest or purchase your business and they say, oh, well, you have these brand names. Have you registered the trademarks? And you have to say no. That can be a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation. If the answer is yes, then you know that's one less box they have to check. Thank you for joining us today, David. We really enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, it was a pleasure. Craig and Chai, this was fantastic. I really enjoyed speaking to you and I hope your audience gets a lot out of it. I want to offer something to your audience. It's a free offer because I know we covered a lot of stuff in this episode. I know there'll be show notes, but I want to make it as easy as possible for your audience to take action and get an understanding of these things. So I've created a free one-page checklist called Intellectual Property for Business Owners. Obviously, in one page, we're not covering a huge amount of detail, but the point of it is to give the basic high-level steps that people need to keep in mind when it comes to intellectual property. And this applies to business owners at all levels. And they can get that at productsofthemind.net slash businessownersradio. So productsofthemind.net is my website and productsofthemind.net slash businessownersradio is where they can go to get that free checklist. And I want to take a moment also to put in a plug for your show, by the way. I love this podcast, Products of the Mind. It really reinforces this idea that I fully support, which is that entrepreneurs at their core are really artists. They're creative people, and they have the ability to see things that are not there yet and change and shape the future. And I just love the theme of your show, exploring how those things come together in creativity and business. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I love having these kinds of conversations with entrepreneurs, creative professionals, artists, and thought leaders. I'm very fortunate that I get to have those conversations and to share them with people and that people are responding and and checking out the show. Take care, David. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Our guest today has been David Lizerbram of David Lizerbram & Associates, host of the podcast Products of the Mind. You can learn more about David and download the free one-page checklist, intellectual property for business owners in our show notes at businessownersradio.com and on David's website at productsofthemind.net slash businessownersradio. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. 
As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, we would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business. Business.